Hello, it's Nick Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease in Childhood. Welcome to this Atoms edition, the September issue. As always, I'm here with Rachel Ekbeko, our Senior Editor, and we've got a lot of very interesting papers to look at this month. When I started writing Atoms, for some reason or other, um, a pang of nostalgia or some other uh, reason, um, I started thinking about textbooks and um, in a rather nostalgic way. Um, and I wonder whether you picked up on that, Rachel. Um, I've no idea, to be honest, where it came from. Yes, it uh, it did, uh, Nick. Um, it was interesting because w- when I was reading your um, your atoms, what what came to me is um, embodied knowledge, um, and and not necessarily just embodied in the terms of the a person embodying knowledge, but also the the physicality of a book. Uh, turning of pages, the smell of paper, um, maybe remembering where on a page that something was written. Uh, and I must admit, I scribble in uh, the sidelines, the, in the margins as well. And to some people, that's sacrilege, but, 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 I, <laughs> but that's what I do. Now, having said that, if, if, if we kind of reflect on, on knowledge, it may be that our current electronic versions better reflective of the actual dimensions of it, uh, more fleeting maybe. And when you think about knowledge, then with new knowledge come new treatments. And in this uh, edition of uh, Archives Disease of Childhood, um, Paul Turner at the National Heart and Lung Institute at Imperial College London in the UK and colleagues discuss how we might do better when introducing a new treatment. Uh, in their editorial, nice and easy, ensuring equitable access to nice approved treatments in children and young people. Well, I found this fascinating. Um, and to me, this felt um, like a, a, a lack of communication at its core. But for those who haven't read the paper or aren't aware of this, the standard procedure for the National Institute for Clinical Excellence once they've made a recommendation to endorse a treatment, is to uh, give uh, NHS England um, just a few months, three months is the standard, to um, essentially get the system going whereby this can be prescribed and used. Um, And after a lot of fanfare, a new uh, peanut allergy desensitisation treatment, palforzia, was announced that has been several years, I think, in, in, the, in the waiting, and um, nothing actually happened. And this is a, is, a, is a fascinating oversight of what should have been a smooth process and I guess has been uh, disappointing for many families, um, just, and that's just as a starter. The, the other secondary effects, I guess, are that the inequities inherent to... Uh, new treatment and those more able to be able to shout louder um, is another knock-on effect. But I I found this very interesting. And extrapolating that, uh, much of the work done on drugs in low- and middle-income countries is to ensure the availability of medications. And the availability of medications, of course, doesn't mean, however, that they're actually taken nor does it take into account whether they still might be the most appropriate ones. So we chose two papers that 
deal with medications, both from settings in low and middle income countries, one from India and one from Kenya. So the first paper is by Varsha Pokharkar of the Department of Pharmaceutics, Pune College of Pharmacy, Bharati, Ijapit, deemed university in Eridwani, Pune, India, with senior author Smita Salunki of the Department of Pharmaceutics, University College London School of Pharmacy in London uh, in the UK. So they and their colleagues studied the acceptability of routinely prescribed medications, most commonly anti-epileptic drugs and antibiotics, in their paper, Acceptability of Different Oral Doses Forms in Pediatric Patients in Hospital Setting. And they carried out this prospective cross-sectional observational study in the outpatient department of a tertiary care hospital in Pune, India. The observed participants in the study were parents, carers, healthcare professionals and paediatric patients aged 0 to 15 years. They recruited just shy of 500 participants and assessed the medicine acceptability using a validated methodology, ClinSearch Acceptability Score Test, or CAST, which is a standardised web-based questionnaire. What they found um, is that, as you said initially, Nick, that you probably need to think a bit beyond whether a medication is available or not, because whether it's taken or not um, uh, is the uh, is the real um, issue, isn't it? And uh, here in this paper, what they showed was that the acceptability of uh, drugs uh, can be measured. That's one thing and can be measured in this setting. Uh, but also that uh, there is a real difference in whether it's liquid form or tablet. Uh, we know that uh, from other studies that tablets are not necessarily taken, especially by the younger children, but that liquid form uh, is taken across ages. So uh, again, it, it, it may be a, uh, a step forward uh, that we're able to be thinking about this uh, in, uh, in these settings where initially we were mostly thinking of whether a drug was available or not. Now, the second paper to mention here from the Wellcome Trust Research Programme in Kilifi, Kenya. Uh, and the title is Randomised Controlled Trial of Phosphomycin in Neonatal Sepsis, Safety and Pharmacokinetics by the first author, Christina Obiero and colleagues, led by James Barclay on behalf of the Neophospho Study Group. Now, Nick, why would we study phosphomycin? You know, that's an excellent question. So, um, and phosphomycin, just a brief reminder of its track record, it's been around for 50 years or so um, and is a very good all-round antibiotic with, with gram-negative and gram-positive cover. It's not really completely clear to me why it not fell out of favour but hasn't had more prominence, um, it, certainly in paediatrics, over the last 20, 30 years. Anyway, that aside, the issue that they're really tackling is the increasing concern of current first-line antibiotics, beta-lactams particularly, becoming ineffective in neonatal sepsis due to uh, evolving antimicrobial resistance, one of the WHO top 10 global health threats, and for good reasons. There's therefore a, a need for inexpensive, effective antibacterial therapy for which there isn't resistance. And phosphomycin um, is, a, is a pretty good candidate for and fulfills most of the criteria. 
Um, so the authors describe phosphomycin as, a, as an off-patent phosphonic acid derivative um, identified as critically important by the WHO. So it is there on the essential medicines list, although it's fairly low profile. It's bactericidal, broad spectrum, um, covers MRSA, impressive, and vancomycin resistant enterococcus, as well as ESBL producers, and might even penetrate biofilms. And it's got good in vitro synergy with aminoglycosides and carbapenems, and it's commonly used for multi-drug resistant urinary tract infections in adults. And I guess part of the reason um, it's uh, been used more in reserve than as a first line is its uh, possibly uh, unfair reputation of uh, metabolic side effects, particularly uh, as a result of the high sodium content um, and the glucose in the oral preparation. So basically, the, the, the paper reports uh, the safety, essentially, of a single-centre open-label randomised control trial of standard care antibiotics versus standard care um, plus oral phosphomycin in neonates with clinical sepsis at, uh, at the Wellcome Trust Research Centre in Kilifi County Hospital in Kenya. In short, the authors recruited 120 neonates and were able to assess safety and the best pharmacokinetic model based on population modelling. As a model for uh, other underused or reserve antibiotics, I found this very thought-provoking. Yes, yes. I was struck by the open mindset that the, uh, the researchers uh, showed or you know, maybe had to. So if our usual go-to medications um, are not working or maybe not as working as uh, as well as we would like them to do uh, and there's nothing in the pipeline then uh, one will have to to go back and and look at those drugs that we thought were superseded uh, but actually may well have a have a role so so as you say the 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 authors um were, were able to say that um the the drug um, either IV or enteral, uh, in addition to standard of care, was well tolerated um, uh, and seemed to be safe. But what they didn't do and didn't set out to do was to look at uh, the uh, efficacy of the uh, of the drug. So, so I think this is one of the studies that's going to inform the next trial um, to to look at um, whether phosphomycin. Uh, uh, in conjunction with uh, with uh, potentially another drug, would be uh, efficacious in neonatal sepsis, and it could be that we need to figure out which population uh, might be best placed uh, to uh, to re- receive uh, phosphomycin, uh, and it, and it could be that we need to start in those those areas where there is a a high level of multi drug resistance, um, and uh, and then go from uh, from there. There's also something still to to learn about dosing um, that is 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 not quite uh, figured out yet, um, uh, and it may be that the in the first week of uh, of age uh, there's a different dosing scheme required, uh, and to uh, uh, rather than uh, later on in the uh, neonatal period. But yes, food for thought, and um, uh, and very welcome. The last paper to discuss here is maybe not so much about a drug per se, um, 
but rather in identifying the population who might need the drug. Let's talk about um, Dr. Rachel Bezer's paper. She's at the NHR Biomedical Research Centre in Oxford Children's Hospital in Oxford, the UK. Uh, and the title of the paper is 100 Years of Insulin. Is it time for a UK type 1 diabetes screening strategy? So that's a thought-provoking uh, title. The issue that is to be addressed is whether we can diagnose type 1 diabetes earlier than we currently do and then potentially reduce illness-associated burden, such as, very importantly, life-threatening ketoacidosis, uh, as in a large number of um, situations. That is how children present. Now, it sounds potentially simple. We can screen, but uh, there are major questions to answer. Nick, what would you say? We've got the tools. We can measure the genetic risk score, as well as the islet autoantibodies. We can do that from a small capillary uh, blood sample. We can conveniently send it off by post um, and then have it be analysed. So we've got the tools, but how would we then put that into the context of trying to answer that question, should we be screening? It's a fascinating question, isn't it? From a criteria point of view, uh, it fulfills most of the the those required for uh, screening programs. It's a reasonably common disease. There's some evidence that intervention helps. It seems to be acceptable. It has reasonable test validity in terms of sensitivity and specificity. But I can't help thinking it's not quite that straightforward. There there are issues. Um, about acceptability by families. What if, two, for example, two parents disagree? Um, there's an issue about timing because there's some, uh, it appears that a single early test is, is substantially less sensitive than a, a, a second test at the age of about three. There's the issue about which children we would miss I don't think uh, health economics has been looked at in detail. There's some evidence that early treatment will save secondary effects down the line. So it's quite likely that cost effectiveness equation will be a positive one on balance. And then, and this is the big one to me, is the adverse effects of knowing one is at risk, as with any genetic screen. Um, and knowing one is at risk, but without knowing for sure whether one's going to develop the disease and, and certainly not at which point. So these, these are things that are still being worked out. There's another issue, of course, with that scenario in that um, without 100% specificity, what are the um, implications for insurance policies, for example? So a lot of um, stuff, for want of a better word, to be to be worked through, and I'm I'm enjoying following this very much. Um, I think this research trail has reached a, a very exciting point. Um, I'm just interested to see how it's going to develop from here. So thank you so much for listening. As you know, we publish regular podcasts about some of the best content of the latest issue of the journal. If you don't want to miss it, please subscribe on your preferred platform, Apple Podcasts and Spotify to get it directly on your device. 
We'd like to hear from you, obviously, so please get in touch through our social media channels or leave us a review on the ADC podcast page on iTunes. So thank you from me and from Rachel. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you again next month. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.